Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. I'm a principal and brand strategist at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Today on Obsessed with Design, I chat with design evangelists of UX innovation, Val Head of Adobe. Now, you may remember Koi Vin from a few months back. Be sure and listen to that episode if you haven't caught that one yet. But Val is joining Koi's team. And today I chat with Val about how she made her way from future rock star to design evangelist for UX, all by the magic of the interwebs. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Val Head. Okay, guys, welcome all the way from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Val Head. Val has joined Adobe's design group as design evangelist of UX innovation. She's reporting into principal designer Koi Vin, who leads design thought leadership and influences the next generation of design tools for creative professionals. Now, you may have heard my conversation with Koi a few months back. If not, go and check that one out too. Val brings expertise in web and interface animation following years of independent consulting for a variety of companies on this topic. Turns out most of them are top secret, so maybe we can get a few secrets out of her later. She's also the author of Designing Interface Animation and teaches the lynda.com course CSS Animation and curates weekly UI animation newsletter. At Adobe, Val will work closely with the teams building tools for the UX design community, including the Adobe Experience Design CC. That's an end-to-end tool in design, prototyping, and wireframing to share high-fidelity designs, and interactive prototypes within one app. She's also going to serve as a design evangelist for UI design tools and skills among designers and developers and bring awareness, and I'd say probably some awesomeness too, to the importance of UI design in branding and digital customer experiences. That was a mouthful, Val, but I'm excited to have you on the (laughs) show and welcome officially to Obsessed with Design. Thanks for having me. Yeah, that was was quite the intro. I was I was impressed with it. (laughs) It's a lot of stuff for somebody that's been on the job for like three weeks. Yeah. Thankfully, they're not expecting me to have it all done already, which is good. That would be a little tough. (laughs) (laughs) You're a busy lady. Um, So I definitely want to dig more into Adobe here in a moment, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, as much as we can on a few weeks into the job. But um, first of all, my favorite question to ask everybody on this show is the first one, which is, Tell me a little bit about your origin story. How did you find yourself in this UX evangelist role at Adobe? And what brought you into the creative and design world in the first place? Oh, yeah. So if I go back to the very beginning, I actually got into all of this design stuff and web stuff through being in a band. Um, That's what I thought I was going to do with my life for a little while. I was like, yeah, be in a band tour. That's great. Um, (laughs) And (laughs) which obviously didn't quite work out that way. Uh, but, you know, I play a anyway. mean rhythm guitar if you still need a backup. <laughs> I you know, haven't been in a band in a while. It'd be fun to get one back together. <laughs> but I was in this band and like our um, bassist did all the illustration for our flyers. Our drummer booked all our shows and they were like, hey, we need a website thing. We need some stuff on the Internet. We think that's going to be your job to do. Uh, and that's kind of what got me started in any of this tech stuff at all. I was like, oh, we need to make some internet for our band happen. Like, what is, what do we do with this? You know, I'd never really thought about the web before that. Um, and then over the years, I got, you know, a bit better at it. 
um, realized that you could actually get paid to do web design and being in a band doesn't really pay that well. <laughs> so <laughs> the idea of like, I could do this thing that I actually really like and is a pretty good creative outlet. I mean, there's some pretty cool stuff you can do on the web and I can still pay my rent if I do it kind of swayed me to turn more to, you know, tech and, and web design as opposed to band stuff. Um, and that's kind of, you know, what I've been doing for, you know, the many years since then, which is, which is kind of cool. I mean, I still like it, which is pretty amazing. You know, like I guess 10 years later, I'm like, this is still a fun thing to work on. So, Hey, I, I think I made the right choice. Nice. Yeah. It's funny how the, maybe the public perception is that, you know, rock stars are bringing home the bank and graphic designers are starving artists. So <laughs> it's actually maybe, maybe a little bit opposite that maybe not quite rock stars, but <laughs> right. there's a small percentage of rock stars bringing in buckets of money, but <laughs> I exactly. feel like most, most musicians not in that boat. <laughs> right. We can't all be Ed Sheeran and Miley Cyrus. According to Adobe, I read you might uh, you might re recognize this source, but <laughs> according to Adobe, demand for UX designers is going to increase by 73% in the next few years. Um, tell me about what you think is driving that and the uh, the interest in UX. Uh, I think the like the increased interest in UX has a lot to do with, you know, companies and products realizing how important design is for their end experience that like you can't just build a thing that works and people will will use it or buy it. You know, it has to be a thing that works well for them. It has to be a thing that considers them the person using it and, you know, meets their needs and helps them get stuff done. And those are all the things that, you know, UX designers focus on is like how to make this an approachable thing, how to consider the human aspect of it and not just like the, you know, checking the boxes of this is functional, it works. Um, mm -hmm. So I think that's a lot of what's driving it is, you know, Thankfully, I think it you know, hasn't always been this way, but over the last few years, you know, most companies, I think, have come to realize that design is important for making a good product that people will use and, and buy and, you know, be loyal to, which I think is something that's just, especially that loyalty factor has become, you know, more of a thing um, and, and more, more of like a goal or, or something that companies want to measure. Um, so I think it's a, it's a good time for UX design people. That's for sure. So it would appear that Adobe is is like all in on this UX thing. <laughs> no surprises since uh, they've been, you know, pioneers in the design and software space for for a very long time now. Um, but but what do you feel like Adobe's unique angle is on this, especially as you know some of the other uh, you know competitors are cropping up, and you know what what does Adobe have to bring to the table that's that's uniquely different for them. Um, I think a couple of things. I mean, I think the fact that, like you said, Adobe's been around for so long in the design space. I think, you know, they've been making things for designers for, uh, you know, some of the the products have been around for like 25 years. There's probably practicing designers out there that are like younger than Photoshop, which is yeah, crazy sure. to think, right? Um, and I think that experience lends a, an angle and just an understanding of like the landscape in the industry um, that might that is unique to Adobe. Um, and then the, the other thing I, I, I've the other thing I've noticed they're doing a lot and was actually part of the reason why I wanted to go work for them is that they're really big on listening to the community and, you know, listening to what designers want, the, the kind of pain points of their job, the things they would like to have be easier and, you know, working on the products they have to make those pain points easier for designers and make, you know, make the things that designers most want or would find most useful. Um, and I think that's a really great thing uh, for them to be doing because, you know, designers, we know what we want. We know what kind of tools we want. And 
uh, it's really great to have a company actually listening to that. Cause you know, not, not all, not all products listen to their customers that well. So I'm happy to see Adobe doing that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm curious again, we're, we're still sort of early in your new position here, but I'm curious what a typical day looks like for you at Adobe. You know, how much of this is, are you doing any hands-on design work? Are you doing more consulting or writing or advising? And, and what does, what does your role look like? Yeah, that's a, that's a, almost a hard question. Cause it's like typical day. Oh, geez. <laughs> None of them have been very much the same. Um, I, I think I kind of alternate between like, you know, being in my office, doing some writing like articles, you know, kind of working on different um, like articles, tutorials, that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, the other side of it is, you know, traveling and being at events, giving talks, doing workshops, you know, talking with designers out there um, about UI animation a lot and other things as well. And just kind of being you know, out there with the community at these events. Um, and then I guess the more boring days are spent on planes, but we don't need to talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> the more interesting stuff is being at the events or creating these, you know, um, writing articles and tutorials and stuff. I, I really love being able to, you know, help people learn something faster, or get something done, or kind of just, you know, notice something new about their job and what they're doing or how they can use their tools better. I think that's a really fun thing to do. So. Some listeners might almost take that as a throwaway, but tell me about what you think the importance is of, of writing and communication skills for a designer. Uh, who was it? Wasn't there a big, huge survey or something that came out like a couple months ago that was like, designers must learn to write or, mm -hmm. or else. Um, it was probably phrased much better than I just said that. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, I feel like maybe that got a lot of uh, hype, but I think it, it is really important. Like if you can, when you write something, you have to really collect your thoughts and like have a narrative to it and like know what points you're making and, and why you're making them. Um, and that's a really great exercise for designers of all kinds, because a lot of what we do is exactly that, right? You know, whatever we make, we're going to need to explain to someone and explain why it's useful, why it's important, you know, why the decisions we made were made. And I think writing really helps you kind of gather those thoughts in a logical way. Um, and, and writing for me is, and I think for other people too, also really great for learning. You know, if I think I've learned a new thing, I try to write about it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you can write coherently about a thing, you've probably actually learned it. It's, it's a pretty good challenge. You know, it, it also really helps these things stick in your head more. You know, if you can convey what you've learned to someone else through writing or, you know, whatever else, but I think especially writing, um, it really sticks with you more and, and you have a better understanding of this new concept or new thing that you've learned. So it's, it's pretty darn useful, I think. I feel like I should um, couch this story I'm about to tell you with the the uh, asterisks that um, this was all because I didn't know how to use the darn thing. But in the late '90s, I had this the saying, and it was "Illustrator is the devil," <laughs> and it was because I hadn't taken the time to learn how to use the darn pen tool. And then I got invited to teach uh, at a local university this Illustrator class. And I was like, you know what? This is a really good excuse for me to have to learn the software inside and out. And, uh, and lo and behold, Illustrator was not the devil. I just didn't know what the heck I was doing before teaching it. But I think it's sort of like writing. You know, if, you've, if you have to write it, if you have to explain it to somebody else, you are going to learn so much more than you, than you would just, you know, knowing enough to get the job done. So um, I think 
writing is just like that. So if you're going to explain your point of view or try to describe to somebody else an idea or a theory, you have to really like formulate that in your head first. Oh, exactly. It's, it's great for that. And that's also kind of, I think what makes it so hard is you're like, Oh, I'll just write this thing up. And you're like, Oh, I need to think about this harder. I need to like figure out what it is that I know and what I want to say. And I, and that can be so hard sometimes. (laughs) So writing's good. It's just not easy. Well, I know that we, um, we talked with Koi a little bit about this previously, but, uh, the team has at least changed by one. My guess is more than Mm -hmm. that since, since we chatted. So tell me a little bit about what this UX team looks like and how big it is and kind of geographically where everybody's at these days. Um, like my immediate team with Koi is actually pretty small. Um, like we're not the, all the UX people in all of Adobe or anything like that. Um, but we're spread out around the country. We've got, you know, uh, Koi in New York, me also on the East coast and then two other women on the West coast. So, um, we're spread out a little bit and, and essentially like the biggest goal of our team is to really help connect Adobe to, you know, the people using their tools and the designers using their things and, you know, kind of helping uh, improve that feedback loop of the things that designers are most interested in and kind of, you know, bringing Adobe closer to its customers in that way. Um, and we're doing that all through various ways. Like a lot of these things are like through events and writing and that kind of thing. I think the more we're in touch with the community through these various, like either online things or in-person things is, is really helping us, um, you know, get the most out of, of what we're trying to do. Excellent. So how do you, um, or maybe the better question is how do you focus your efforts? So are you reaching out more to, to conferences and organizations to evangelize, or are you doing more like one to many kind of presentations via video or like we mentioned the, the lynda.com course or what's, Mm -hmm. what's kind of the strategy look like there? Um, a lot of what I'm doing in the immediate next few months is, you know, like in-person events. Um, you know, a lot of it's just talking about uh, UI animation and how we can design that well, how to use it well as a design tool and, you know, um, use it effectively, that kind of thing. So a lot of in-person events, uh, either speaking or workshops, you know, just kind of helping designers get their head around how animation can fit into their process. So that's kind of my main focus the next few months. Um, and then I, I assume it'll expand a little bit from there, but uh, that's as, as far into the future as I know so far, at least for sure. <laughs> Well, maybe this goes back to your consulting practice a little bit. So as a designer and as a consultant, how did you identify things that made for a great client? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I feel like it had a lot to do with um, how they would phrase their problems, at least for clients, of like the how they would phrase what it is they wanted you to help them with. Mm-hmm. You know, if they sometimes people come to you with a problem and they're like, they almost already know the answer and they just want you to, you know, do their version of the answer. And I feel like that can lead to some pretty um, difficult projects because, you know, they've already made so many decisions. You're just in to finish it, which maybe isn't always the best way to start off a relationship. I always thought the best projects came out of clients who um, came, came to me very early in their kind of problem figuring uh, process where they might be like, we know this thing isn't working, or we know this part of our design system is kind of a mess and not really a system or something more along that lines of those bigger questions. And they'd be coming to me to to help them solve that and figure out what the answer is and, and how to, you know, then act upon it. And I always thought those kind of higher level questions that sort of earlier 
in the process ones led to the better projects because, you know, then you were working more as partners to solve this problem and find the solution that best would work for their situation, you know, as opposed to just being someone who is like hired to execute a solution you had no involvement in figuring out, um, which is, I feel like for designers, we we want to have some investment in that problem solving, right? We don't just want to be like, make the pixels go in the right place. Like that's not, uh, <laughs> that's not as fulfilling as like helping to define that problem and figuring out how you're going to solve it with the design tools that you have. Um, that's, that's so much more interesting and so much more fulfilling. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, that's maybe a good segue into, uh, again, a lot of your clients have been uh, maybe ones we can't mention on the airwaves here or on the <laughs> interwebs, but tell us maybe uh, a fun story about a recent project or recent client uh, that you can at least give us some context and some lessons around, even if we can't name drop. Well, I think one of my my most favorite recent projects was um, getting to go in and uh, work with this, this client's uh, UX team um, for a whole bunch of weeks in a row and help them um, figure out how animation would fit into their design system. You know, they already had a bit of a design system. They had like design values for essentially, you know, that were all focused on things like type and color and all of that. And they brought me in to help translate those to motion, which is like some of my favorite stuff to do is like figure out that high level stuff of like, how does your brand exist in motion? It's like one of my favorite problems to solve for people. Um, and then I also got to work with them a lot through design critiques and design reviews to help the designers figure out, you know, how to present their motion comps and and the things they made with motion, how to present that, um, you know, to their creative directors, to the other stakeholders and explain, you know, how motion um, fit in with their design solutions. And I thought that was just super fun because it was more me like enabling this this team to do the work themselves. Um, you know, I was kind of guiding them through it. And then it's like when I left, they could still do it all themselves and they didn't need me anymore. Um, and in one hand, that's kind of scary. You're like, oh, they don't need me anymore. But it's also, it just, it feels really nice to be like, all right, I've, I've helped you sort out this thing that was, you know, really being a roadblock for you. And now, um, you know, they're making bigger and better things than I ever could have made for them because they're, you know, they know their product better than I do. And, and they're just, um, you know, taking those new skills and making them become even more than I ever would have guessed. So very cool. That kind of stuff, that's kind of stuff makes me really happy when I get to work on things like that. So will you be in a position at Adobe to help inform features or changes or improvements to the product itself? At least in some way. I mean, I don't think I can go in and be like, you know what feature you need to make right this second. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't tried that yet, but I feel like that would not go over well. Um, but a big part of, you know, the way Adobe's figuring out what to put you know, or what to create as new features is is listening to the design community and, you know, figuring out what's important to them and what kind of things they want to get done. Um, and that kind of feedback loop of, of helping them gather that information is a big part of what I'll be doing. So I think I'll get to influence it that way, even if I can't demand only the features I want. <laughs> well, I think uh, former guest of Obsessed with Design and friend of the show, Von Glitchko would love to have that position if there was actually a job where you got to say, make this feature right now, because he's, yeah. he's always got some strong opinions on that, which I appreciate. So let's talk a little bit specifically about Adobe XD, because I feel like that's a good way that Adobe's maybe looking into these things. Tell me a little bit about how that's happening. Yeah, I mean, XD is kind of working in a, a very different way than I think a lot of 
um, maybe your traditional software projects or, or products rather um, would work. And you're like, uh, Adobe is really lis listening to the community, figuring out what kind of things they want, what's important to them. And XD has been coming out with these monthly releases where, you know, it's like new things, um, you know, fixes and new features every month, which I think is a really great timing to like, you know, for people to see their feedback actually showing up in the, in, in XD, right. You know, if, if you, um, yeah, when you see a new version of it and new things added every month, I think that gives you as someone, you know, just as a designer working and doing your thing, um, some extra confidence that you're being listened to, right. You know, you're, you're, these, these things keep changing and updating so frequently. Um, and, uh, I think that's very reassuring and, and nice to know. Yeah. Very nice. So Maybe back to your super secret clients and in the past, <laughs> where do you feel like, um, I mean, I think you did a great job of describing like what a smart client is looking for, or what maybe a good fit is looking for. And the ones who are more like move this pixel over here are the ones that are maybe not so desirable, but where do you feel like those good clients came from and, and how do you, how do you filter that process to identify if somebody's going to be maybe more challenging than another? I think the best clients, at least in my experience, have come from referrals. You know, someone you worked with before, whether it's another designer or like a company you worked with before, you know, kind of somehow sees that connection or sees that you work in a similar way or, or do the things that will solve this person or rather this company's problems. Um, and those referrals tend to bring in, I think, the best quality clients, maybe partly because, you know, if you have a good client that, that or a, a someone who was a good client for you in a previous project and they're recommending like, you know, a company they know well, chances are they're probably, you know, of a similar caliber or, or kind of think in similar ways maybe. Um, but I, I really find that referrals have always been um, the best, where I've gotten the best clients in the past. Of course, I feel like that's always, that's also like the hardest thing for new designers to get to that point. Cause if you're brand new to the industry, it's tough to get to the point where you're getting referrals. Um, but I, I think those have really been the ones that have, turned out the best in the end. What do you find are some of your favorite things to work on right now? My favorite things to work on right now, I've really been enjoying um, making or putting together talks. I think that's really fun to do. Um, I just had a new one that I debuted at AADC a couple weeks ago, all about like choosing um, your web animation tools. And it was just really fun to like, um, kind of, you know, a lot of these talks, it's like me geeking out about a thing that I think is important for, you know, a half hour or an hour. And it's really great when, you know, an audience also finds that equally interesting. I, mean, I always try to make it something that'll be interesting for them. But I think until you really get on stage and do that talk, you're never totally sure anyone else is into this as you are. Um, so I've really been enjoying that. Um, and I've really been enjoying writing and, you know, kind of writing about how to get this stuff done. Um, you know, I, the, my book, my um, book designing interface animation came out, um, I guess, a little earlier this year or a few months ago, um, or in 2016, it's 2017 now, who knows, days, so hard to keep track of. Um, and that was a really <laughs> fun thing to write and just kind of get all this, all this information in one place so someone could pick it up and learn a whole bunch of about UI animation in, you know, just a few hours. So um, that kind of, I guess it's like that transfer of knowledge of like, I've learned a thing and here now... I can help you learn it faster that I, I really love doing right now. Was writing a book something that was um, on your radar for a long time? Or at what point did you decide, I need to write this book? <laughs> it, it was for a while. I had um, a couple years before 
before I started writing designing interface animation, I wrote a very short ebook for five simple steps. Um, and that I just kind of did on a whim and was like, maybe writing won't be that hard. And after writing that, I, I kind of realized like, I would like to write a longer thing, uh, you know, something that's more, that packs in more useful information. It isn't just this really short thing. So um, it was something I wanted to do for a while. I was definitely a bit afraid of it because um, writing a book takes a lot of writing. <laughs> <laughs> and there was definitely some points in time where I was like, I don't know, can I, can I write a book? Is that a thing I can do? Um, but luckily I got to work with a really great publisher and a really lovely editor. And, you know, they helped me through all of those moments of, you know, terrifying self-doubt that comes with writing a book. Um, so I'm really happy with how it came out. And, and um, I was very glad to have them along for the ride because I think it would be much harder without them. So how long was the process for this most recent book kind of from the seed of, I think I should write this thing to you've got a book in your hand or it's, you know, available and published? Um, I think probably a couple of years from when I was like, all right, I'm going to do this to when it actually got published. Um, and probably like that first year of it was like kind of getting up the guts to like <laughs> actually outline this book and figure out what it's going to say. And then, you know, um, bringing that to publishers and and seeing if they were interested in it as well. Um, I, I almost feel like the, just, you know, the outlining and planning for the book was, took more time than actually writing it. Um, because it's, you know, it's just, it's a hard thing to plan out and like how much fits in a book. Oh my goodness. I didn't know until I tried to write an outline. <laughs> And then the actual writing process took probably about a year to get it all together and edited and all those things. So um, it's a pretty time intensive thing. But, you know, at the end of it, you have a book and it's really awesome to see people reading it and finding it useful and, and like, um, you know, helping them get their jobs done and design things that they that they are excited about. So I think it was totally worth it. <laughs> nice. Well, congratulations. I um, I had published a book about five years ago now. And it, people would always ask me that same question. And I would mm -hmm. tell them, well, I think I spent like a year and a half to two years of like not actually writing the book. <laughs> and then like six yep. months of actually writing the book and probably six months of editing and design and all that. So it's, um, I think if you skip that whole, I'm not actually writing it yet phase, it's, it's probably a much faster process. Yeah. If anyone knows how to skip that, I would love to know how to get around <laughs> the planning and, you know, it's funny how attaching a publisher and editor helps keeping you moving. Oh yeah. I mean, once you, once you have like an editor and you've been like, for mine, it's like, we put together a schedule together. So I'm like, I, I said I could write, you know, like this many chapters by this date. So I better do it. Yeah, exactly. It's so helpful to have that, uh, I guess that accountability. Well, maybe speaking of accountability, um, I know all of us at some point in life and in our careers, we, you know, we hit rough spots. It's either a project mm -hmm. that doesn't go so well or a project goes sideways or a client disagrees or, you know, maybe tell us about how you work through that. Or if you have a specific example, that's, that's great too. Oh yeah. That's always, um, those are always tough. I feel like, um, those kind of problem, problem clients or like difficult projects got a lot easier when I was working on my own. Like once I sort of left agency life and then I would, I could have this ability to kind of um, put in, I guess, these sort of like guards to help me out. You know, I would put things in my contract about like, you know, if I don't hear from you for two weeks, I assume that this project is over, <laughs> you know, like kind of these like mm -hmm. based on my experience and the things that had gone wrong or 
or even horribly wrong <laughs> in projects in the past when I was working for agencies, I kind of would put these things in my contract to help maybe protect against things going completely terrible. Um, of course, I mean, you, you can't prevent all of that, no matter how hard you try to like communicate well and, you know, keep things on schedule or whatever else things, I mean, there's just no way to stop any bad project from happening. So, um, I mean, I've definitely had to do things that are super hard, like fire clients before. Um, I've totally had clients fire me, which is probably much, uh, sadder, but you know, sometimes it happens, you know, sometimes you're just not there's just some projects that maybe are never going to finish. I think that's maybe the saddest ones for me is the ones where you worked really hard on this project and maybe things went sort of well or are really well, but then it never actually sees the light of day. You know, it never gets launched. It just kind of ends up filed away in someone's hard drive mm-hmm. somewhere. Right. Um, those I think are the, the hardest, the hardest hits. <laughs> you know, if, you know, if you have to fire a client or if a client wants to stop working with you, you can kind of be like, all right, you know, I screwed this up. Maybe I should have communicated better or maybe my expectations were wrong. Um, but when you feel like things were going great and then they just never end up seeing the light of day, I feel like that's much more, that's much harder on your design soul. <laughs> <laughs> right. So coming off of that, is there anything that you do for inspiration or to kind of catch a, catch a second wind? Oh yeah. Lots of, lots of getting away from the computer, (laughs) which I feel like is really hard to do sometimes. There's just so many interesting things on the internet. It's hard to go away. Um, but I love going to, um, I love going to like museums and things around town. We have some really great ones here. People put in some great installation art and things. Um, I love talking to, um, my friends who are like printmakers or, you know, textile makers and like who actually make physical things. Um, I always find talking to them and hearing about like kind of the challenges they run into and the things that they end up making out of it being very inspiring. And, and also a lot of photography, oddly, I think there's just something really, really interesting about the way you can like frame a scene and have certain colors be in, you know, like, or have certain color tones and stuff that just really, um, is inspiring from like a storytelling angle. You're kind of like, if they can tell a story with this whole image, you know, that's, that's the kind of thing that you're like, I, I would love to be able to do stuff like that. That's something that's very inspiring. So getting away from the stuff I actually work on tends to, tends to help with inspiration the most. Cool. Yeah. I think, um, getting that, just knock the cobwebs out and getting something fresh in your head. Yeah. Whether it's looking through a camera or just looking through two eyes is, is a cool <laughs> thing to do. And it's amazing what leaving a problem for a while will do for getting to be able to solve it. Um, that's probably one of the hardest lessons I still probably haven't quite learned. <laughs> yeah. I, I swear back in the day when I was doing lots of flash work, which was kind of like my foray into being able to code anything mm-hmm. that I, that I would solve action script problems in my sleep that I would literally oh, wake yeah. up and go, Oh, I need to do this one thing in the action script file. And, and then I would try it and it would work. And it's just, it's just amazing how your brain can continue to work on a problem even after you've stepped away from it. Right. Like you could stare at this for like the next six hours and never find the answer, or you can go walk away and like, you know, take your dog for a walk or have dinner and you'll, or, you know, go to sleep and you'll wake up with the answer, <laughs> uh, which is, I think, an amazing thing that our brains do, but also so frustrating. <laughs> so I realize it's been a, a short stint so far, but um, do you have any surprising learnings or lessons that you've taken away from, from Adobe yet at this point? 
I don't know if I, it's any like surprising lessons or anything, but one thing I have been, um, I guess really appreciative of, maybe not so much surprised by, but just like how, just how many like super smart, dedicated folks they have working there. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people, you know, getting onboarded and just trying to like figure out the lay of the land and in, in Adobe. And I feel like every single person I've talked to is really passionate about what they're working on and like the problems they're trying to solve and just like generally the kind of people I'm like, I could hang out with you all day and listen to what you're working on. Um, so I, I really, <laughs> I really loved all the people I've, um, I've gotten to meet through this and I'm super excited that they are like my teammates and my coworkers because, um, like I kind of just feel like they're super positive and just really smart people. And that's, those are the kind of people you want to be around. So, uh, I was very happy to find out that, uh, that's still most of the people at Adobe. So that was, that was fun. I appreciated that. Yeah. Nice. And, you know, one of the things that crossed my mind when you told me you were, you were working out of Pittsburgh was, um, I got to think most people who are like maybe in the Midwest or they're, they're not somewhere where Adobe necessarily has a big office or a big presence. Um, the thought that a young designer would go work for Adobe may sound like just like a total pipe dream or something that's just completely unattainable. So Mm-hmm. what would, what would you say to those young designers who are like, Oh man, I wish I could work at that cool place, but I never want to move there. Like what's, what's reality look like for them? Um, I think, you know, no matter where you're from, your, your work speaks for you and your abilities more than, than your geographical location. Um, I think there is a tendency for folks in smaller cities and smaller towns to kind of believe that, because of where they are, somehow their work isn't as good. Um, but I think if you if you like you know if you work hard to be a good designer, that is completely not true. Um, you know, someone uh, you know based in Ohio can design a thing just as good as someone based in San Francisco. Like the the actual city they're in has nothing to do with their their skill level or what they can produce. So I think realizing that is 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 a big thing for sure. Like you can definitely get jobs wherever you want, no matter where you live. Um, and I also think, you know, this whole idea of um, remote teams has become a much bigger thing, a much bigger trend in the design and tech industry in general. Um, I feel like I know so many people who work remotely on remote teams and even for entirely remote companies um, than I ever did before. And I think that's that's going to be a thing that's really going to open up some opportunities for people who maybe, you know, do live in these smaller cities and like can't move because some of us have like family obligations or whatever else that you can't leave the place you're in. Um, and, and this tendency or this trend towards being more open to remote workers in the industry, I think, is is really helpful for anyone in that situation. So what are some of the tools that Adobe leverages um, to communicate across these teams and for, for their remote workers or, you know, to keep everybody connected, what, what's kind of the, the strategy at Adobe? Actually, they use really the same tools that I think all remote teams use. You know, we use Slack to keep in touch. We do like video chat and email and all those things. Um, you know, it's all the same tools I used when I was, you know, consulting and working kind of as the remote team member on those consulting projects. Um, so in that way, it's been nicely familiar. And I think, I mean, I feel like things like Slack and and Skype and all the other video chat things have are, are really um, what has made made remote working so possible these days. Like I think if we didn't have those, if we just had phones and email, it'd probably be a lot harder. Um, so it's it's nice to to have those tools to feel more connected, like no matter where you are. 
Nice. So what would you say? And again, I understand your exposure is maybe not years and years and years, but um, what do you feel like are maybe some misperceptions about Adobe or, or maybe about UX design specifically? And, uh, and you know, what, what do people just not quite get about those things? I think from, from my perspective, since I tend to at least currently hang out with a lot of like digital designers and web design people, um, you know, the, the biggest misconception I, I've seen from that sort of side of the design world about Adobe is that, you know, a lot of people have concluded that Adobe doesn't care about digital design or like web designers right now, which of course isn't true. You know, Adobe's making products like XD, which are, are specifically aimed at, you know, web and screen designers and helping to make the things they're trying to get done, um, you know, happen more efficiently and get their job done a little bit faster. So I think that's, you know, that misconception is, is, starting to go away a little bit, but there's definitely, uh, still some people who have that, you know, hold on to that conclusion, at least for now. And I think kind of, you know, for the idea of like misconceptions around UX design, um, even though we were talking about the beginning of this, how so many companies have realized that UX is important and considering their users and, and, you know, making things easier to use is important. Not everyone has. And I think there still are, you know, a significant enough number of people in the industry who maybe don't see the value of it at all. They don't think UX is really a thing still. Um, and, uh, you know, they just haven't maybe quite caught on or seen the same benefits that people that, uh, really understand it, um, have so far. So I think there's still some work to do in that area of like, there's still some people to convince that UX is important and useful, um, especially people who measure things from a very maybe much more business point of view and really want to see like how it affects the bottom line and, you know, in that kind of numbers and statistics kind of way. Um, but I think, you know, as UX designers as a whole, I think we're working on that. You know, I, I find this is true for myself and a lot of designers. I know that you feel a little bit like you've had that matrix moment that you're either you know, blessed or cursed that you see the world differently around you. So especially with your UX lens, I'm curious if, if there are things in particular right now, either trends or mistakes that you just see over and over that, that drive you crazy. Like what are, what are some of those things? Oh no, we, we could have done a whole podcast about this. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that can be the uh, second episode. Yeah. Right. Um, I think the biggest thing that drives me crazy right now that is a big trend is those newsletter pop-ups that come up before you even read an article. Mm -hmm. um, those drive me crazy. I think they're just like, it's just so invasive. And like, I haven't even read the article yet. Why would I want to sign up for your mailing list? Um, but sadly, I've heard from folks that work more in marketing that they are actually really effective, which I think is why they get used so much is, mm -hmm. is they are effective, even though they drive me absolutely crazy. And really, um, yeah, those those ones drive me crazy. And the other thing that's come up for me a lot that drives me crazy is the um, bizarre password rules <laughs> that right. some sites have. Like, you know, it must have like three capital letters and six numbers and like, you know. And two emojis. Um, yeah, right. And, you know, the name of your dog spelled backwards. Those ones I find, um, you know, I, I feel like I'm pretty well versed in technology for the most part, considering I use it all day, every day. And it's like, I can't imagine what someone who is like not constantly using technology does with those password rules. Like that must make them feel awful. 
Like if they have to try like six times to get a password, the system will like accept. Oh, that has to be just like the worst possible way to start an experience with a product or, or, or you know, whatever it is they're trying to make an account for. Um, so those those two things in particular drive me pretty crazy. Uh, I would I would love to see us solve those problems in a, I don't know, a less invasive or less obnoxious way. Yeah, if it weren't for uh, my password manager, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> oh my goodness. I don't know how anyone gets by on the internet without one. I'd probably just have password as all of my passwords. <laughs> Most of the rules explicitly state that's not allowed. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it. All right. So I have no fallback strategy. Don't take yeah. my password manager away. Please don't go out of business. Oh, yeah. So what would you say is one of your proudest professional moments in this design profession? Oh, wow. I think I think publishing publishing the book and like having, you know, the actual printed copies of the book in hand, you know, that moment when like I got my box of books sent to me from my publisher and like had them in mm -hmm. my living room, this giant box of all my copies. It was like so real. Right. I'm like, this really is a book. <laughs> it's really a thing. Um, and especially because at that point, you know, all the work like you were talking about that goes into making the book happen was really fresh in my mind. So I was like, I am really proud of myself that I got this done. Um, and, and having a printed book is amazingly useful at uh, convincing your family you've done something with your life. So <laughs> <laughs> they don't actually have to read it, but just to point to it, you're like, see, exactly. There's evidence you know, here. Yeah. For years, my family had no idea what I do. And I'm like, here's a book. And they're like, oh, you write books. I'm like, close enough. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess we will accept that answer. Yeah. So at least they're, you know, that's a thing they can, uh, they can also recognize and, and feel like is important. So that helps. Who are some of your design heroes? Oh, I have, there's, I feel like that's always changing, but there's two that I think I've always really kind of looked up to, um, for probably a most of my career. Um, one of them being Debbie Millman, who I'm actually going to be at the same event as her later this year. And I'm kind of already nervous about that. Very cool. Um, She's the greatest. I just, yeah. And I love her, um, just her dedication to like design education. I love her interviewing style, just the way she discusses design on her podcast and in her writing and everything. I think that there's just, um, her approach and outlook on design is just really wonderful. And I kind of like aspire to have that kind of, you know, just, um, I don't know, intelligent discourse about design, um, when I talk about it, which clearly I've got a ways to go considering that didn't quite come out very smoothly. <laughs> <laughs> um, another one that I've always really loved is Saul Bass kind of like going back mm, in time, yeah, but just the amazing way, like well, actually, really the way anyone got design done before computers, I'm kind of always amazed at. But the way he translated work from like posters to, you know, movie titles, and there was always that kind of sense of, you know, um, liveness and motion in all of his layouts, even if they weren't actually motion pieces. Um, there's just something so amazing about the simplicity of, of the way he designed things, but yet they weren't simple. I feel like I could look at, you know, Saul Bass titles and Saul Bass posters like every day for the rest of forever. And I would never get tired of it. Do you have any, um, big dream projects that you'd like to do in the future? Yeah, I think I've, I've been reading a lot about like robots and stuff lately. So I feel like a dream project would be able to like design like the personality 
and like, I guess like face or whatever the robot would have, you know, like however it communicates with the mm -hmm. outside world. I think that would be really, really fun to do. Um, I assume also really hard, but <laughs> uh, I think, you know, kind of figuring out how to create something um, that has like almost a, a human enough personality for humans to interact with yet still be a robot could be very interesting. Um, and it'd be so much in just, you know, in, as far as like visual design, as well as like, you know, movement and, and all of those things, I think it'd be a really amazing challenge. I imagine if I ever did get to work on a project like that, I would not be doing it alone. <laughs> so, um, I'm, you know, it seems like the kind of thing you need a pretty awesome team to, to, uh, get done, but, um, robots seem pretty cool. Okay. So maybe the answer to this is robots, but, <laughs> but I am, I'm curious. This is another question that we ask all of our guests. I'm curious what you would say that you are most obsessed with right now. Oh, actually I can answer with not robots. So you're in luck. Sweet. Um, <laughs> I mean, robots are pretty cool, but other things that are cool. Um, I've been obsessed lately with finding, um, like the cheapest, crappiest vintage lenses for uh, my full frame digital camera that will take interesting shots. Oh. So I've been like scouring eBay for like $10 lenses and buying them and attaching them to my camera to see what happens. Um, that's been really fun. Uh, kind of, I rediscovered eBay to do that. <laughs> so it's like a $10 roll of the dice each time to see if they're really horrible or if you get some, some cool stuff. Exactly. And like some, like these old lenses from like the seventies and eighties are made just so differently than, you know, the DSLR lenses of today, you know, they're, they have so many moving parts and they're just so tactile. Um, and yeah, some of them that you buy for $10 are horrible, <laughs> but some of them are, are actually kind of make some interesting images. So that's been my, my latest obsession. So if you weren't working in design or consulting for the design industry, what do you think you'd be doing right now? Probably something with music. Um, I don't think I would still be like in a touring band. I'm pretty sure that would have gotten old, <laughs> regardless of whether I found web design. Um, but, you know, there's so much other places in the music industry as far as like, you know, like writing um, music for TV and film and that kind of thing. I wonder if like that might have been a direction I would go. I would if past me made different choices and ended up there, I, I would still be OK with it. Good answer. <laughs> so especially with your background in consulting, I'm curious what maybe one of your favorite pieces of advice is that you have either received or one of your favorite pieces of advice to pass along to young designers or young creatives. I think my favorite piece of advice, both that I've gotten and that I've passed on to, to younger designers is to always, always be nice to people, you know, no matter how, like wacky and out of left field, you think the client's demands are, or no matter how much of a jerk you think your boss is, um, you know, be nice to people and, you know, take handle things as nicely and with as much grace as possible. Um, cause you never know when those people are going to come back into your life and, you know, may be able to influence your career or current project or, or some other thing that's important to you. Um, so, you know, if you are make an effort to be a positive person and, and, and treat people with respect and, you know, be nice to them as, as best you can, um, I think, I think you'll have a much better career than, you know, someone who maybe is just really mean. Was it Bambi that said, if you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. <laughs> was that, um, I was where that came from? That. <laughs> <laughs> it still holds true. Fictional character. Oh yeah, totally. I feel like 
so many times people that maybe I couldn't stand working with have come back into my career at some point or have come back into my life. And um, I was definitely happy I listened to that advice at those times. I'm like, I'm glad I did not totally burn those bridges. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was a good thing I was nice to Koi so that Adobe would come back <laughs> into my life. So. Right? See, it happens everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe a great segue. So Val, before we let you go here, tell us a little bit about where people can track you down on the interwebs and learn more about what Adobe's doing for UX. Right. Um, well, you can find me at uh, valhead.com. Um, you can find my newsletter at uianimationnewsletter.com. Uh, I'm also on Twitter as VLH. And my book at, is at designinginterfaceanimation.com. Adobe has a great site with all sorts of things talking about design. Um, you might want to also look up some of the XD articles because there's some pretty interesting stuff in there. Um, but yeah, that's that's a lot of internet for everyone to look into. So that's probably a good list. It's a good like <laughs> half day worth of worth of interwebbing. Yeah, well, there's there's so much on the internet. It's hard not to to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> <laughs> well, Val, thank you for chatting with us today, and thank you for being obsessed with design. Okay, kids, that is episode number 76 in the books. Thanks so much for listening. Do me a favor this week and download that Koi Vin episode as well. And let me know what you've learned from Adobe. Tweet to at Josh Miles and at Obsessed Show. And let me know who you think we should interview next. Be sure and sign up for my email list as well to get my thoughts on brand strategy delivered to your inbox. Visit milesherndon.com slash josh obsessed with design is a product of the design obsessed team at miles herndon a branding agency located in beautiful downtown indianapolis our show is always edited by the talented gen eds at the brassy broadcast company thanks for listening we'll see you next time <laughs>